Heather, what's our topic for today? Well, you know what, Teresa? That's a really good question. Let me just jump right in. Um, It's actually about the job market. Mm -hmm. Um, I think so many people that we talk to, so many listeners, so many clients, you know, after a transition. (laughs) My microphone's like in my mouth. are kind of thinking about what do they do? Do they how how do they get back into the job market? That maybe they haven't worked. Can I even get a divorce? Can I even work again? Can I afford what to am I support good at? myself? Right. Can yeah. I afford to support myself? Right. Or another thing that was really important is okay. I am going to get a divorce. I'm going to have my kids a certain percentage of the time. Is my job flexible enough? And if not, how can I find a career that allows me to balance? the new role of having kids, um, taking care of them solely and having the career I've had. And then the third aspect that you're going to learn about really like after a major life transition like this, does it give you an opportunity to reboot and kind of figure the reboot and (laughs) that's so dumb and to figure out, you know, if you have this opportunity, the reboot, (laughs) if you have the opportunity to start over right you now you're re you're rebranding yourself right. you're starting over you've gone through a divorce right. you have your next chapter is in front of you what does that look like professionally and how do you figure out what it is exactly you want to do and the information you're about to hear is it's positive and it's hopeful oh, i'll give 100%. one little i was gonna say nugget and then i try to think of a different word i'll give one little piece of information the way that i know mikey so well is that i was in a specific industry and i had to I was given the task of building an entire program for all the emerging leaders in this program in the state. Emerging leader, they meant a little bit lower than middle management, but they saw these people as being executives, major executives someday, from the age of 30 to 45. And instead of building that entire program, I remembered, oh, I know Mikey. He knows how to build this entire program. And so when he talks about later on um, that 35 to 50, there are a lot of job openings. Mm-hmm. He's telling the truth. Um, so why don't you ex- go into a little bit about who he is? Because I don't think we've officially introduced him. It's funny because I asked him if he wanted me to talk about the company he's with right now. And he said, that's not really as important as just saying what he does. He helps executives find other executive roles. He helps people but figure like, out. His name is Mikey Maynard. His name is Mikey Maynard. <laughs> I mean, introduction like that. Um, and he... Uh, I started thinking of Eminem songs just now. I in my know. Head. I'm like Mom's spaghetti. I'm right there. Yeah. Um, he helps whether it's executives placing them in other executive roles or helping people, you know, first-time jobs, right out of college, no college, moms that haven't worked in 10, 20 years. He helps everyone. And he uses not only the connections that he has, but also the methodology that he's created. Um, and, it, and it works. And we're very, very lucky to have him yes Um, he's a wealth of information and kindness and if this if this next podcast isn't something you need to hear for you there's probably someone in your life you need to to hear it it. tag him on social media tell somebody else to listen to it your kids might need a job aunt ethel and i also learned like don't stop posting the bikini pics Teresa, on social media people are watching he goes into that too he does go into it okay yeah that's it enjoy We are back. I like to say we are back. We are here today with Mikey Maynard, a friend and business associate of mine for years, I'm happy to say. And Heather, you've known him for a while now, too. Yes, I've had the honor of of knowing him for 
Oh, Mike, my God, it's about a year. Mikey has an unconventional way of helping people not just find a job, but kind of find their calling. Um, he works with a very high level executives and he helps companies lead their workforce into being more productive. Um, he has the secrets of how to look sexy to uh, a future new employer. Mikey? Welcome to say the it, show. Say Great to be together. Say yeah. it in your words. <laughs> I know. I'm so happy that you were able to do this again. We really appreciate it. And for your viewers and members, it'll be fun to see if we can share some resources that will help get them ignited and get them landed and get them productive. Because I can tell you this, all over the world today, companies need talent. It's the number one conversation in the executive boardroom today. We can't find enough fill in the blank boy we wish we had more fill in the blank so now in my opinion is a fabulous time to do career redesign and think about getting in the workforce because you're needed i love that career redesign is a great catchphrase i love that and where do you start mikey i mean everybody hears these websites they think about putting a resume together post it on this website what what really should somebody be doing that maybe okay let's start we'll look at different caveats of it. Let's start with someone who hasn't worked in years. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm very fortunate because my work, my just everyday work puts me inside the companies that are looking for workers. Mm-hmm. I'm privy to and I hear and I participate in the conversations where executives or others are bemoaning the fact that this job remains unfilled or we're letting a customer down because we don't have enough fill in the blank, customer service, sales, delivery people to fill the need. Um, So I feel that if one were to know what those conversations inside of employer companies consist of, kind of the inner secrets of what is it that employers are really looking for in talented potential future workers, then it wouldn't matter as much if someone's re-entering the workforce after a long absence, what their GPA was twenty-five GPAs years ago, in college, right? Exactly. Um, last pay that they received back when they were working, and now that doesn't look like very much money. That's really not what employers worry about. Employers really need the answers to a couple of questions, and if your materials, your um, presence on social media, your in-person conversations can answer these couple of questions, I promise you employers want to talk to you. I have a, I have a question about that. So the social media aspect of it, I, I, I think that I am one of those people I struggle with it because it has to be a part of your business every day and it takes a tremendous. So when employers are looking at someone and you say that they are looking at their social media or their presence, I mean, can you expound on that a little bit? What are they what are they looking for? Well, my belief is, my observation is that there's really three sets of people that might be your members, your listeners, your viewers. Um, and I think the answer is different for all three. Okay. So those of you who know me know I have this lovely color blonde hair because I'm what we call a baby boomer. I'm 61 years old. The group of 50 and up in age are usually a little more senior, a little more tenured, been around the block a few times, and they're probably looking for fairly senior positions, largely positions for which recruiters and HR people won't really be checking social media pages. 
the most desperately needed set of workers defined by age cohort are the Gen Xers, which would be people from about 35 to about 50 years old. They're actually the fewest in number in the worker population worldwide, but you think about it, they're of an age and experience level where they make good leaders, managers, advanced salespeople, more highly skilled technical individuals like IT workers. That Gen X or cohort is very much in demand and their social media presence is being checked as we're speaking right now all over the world because recruiters no longer are geographic. I can log on to the internet and use my recruiter tools anywhere in the world, whether I live near you or not. So your presence becomes available to me where years ago I had to be in your town or city, right? And then the great bulk of workforce today, highest in number available to the world's companies are millennials and Gen Z's. Millennials would be about age 36 and under, and Gen Z's are just entering the workforce coming out of college at about age 2021-22. They're alike in some ways, different in others. There's over 100 million of those strong compared to much smaller numbers in the other age cohorts. So there's a very rich, very robust workforce there, but largely as of yet, because of their age, relatively unskilled. Mm -hmm. And so media presence can be very important for them because they may not have had a lot of job experience. One statistic that we share is that of today's graduating classes in colleges and universities across North America, so add up everything from community college through major universities, 26% of our current graduates who will be wearing the mortar board this year mm -hmm. have never held a job of any kind. Right. Never right. held a job. They've, never, even they've never cut the grass. Like in high school or and college. And they're getting out of college. That's crazy. They've never taken the trash That's out, probably. Fairly unprecedented historically. So they need to pay real close attention to how they brand and advertise themselves. Because think how hard it might be to advocate yourself for a job, an attractive, interesting, high paying job. When in fact, it would also be your first job ever. So I think by age, how important social media is or the differences in how one might produce themselves in social media are rather profound. It's not a uniform answer across every worker. Let's let's talk a, at first about the age group. 36 to 50, not looking for an executive position, possibly hasn't worked in a while. And let's just talk about w what exactly advice you have for them as a general demographic. Sure. And it's not personally my advice. I'm only a good observer or cataloger of the practices I see from companies and their people who are looking for workers. So I'm just going to share with you what companies want. It's not me advising anybody. I'm just the messenger here, but it's a profound message. And it's a message not well published in those who might advise you on how to put a resume together or how to answer a job interview question. So I think it's a value to your members to know this about the employer marketplace because it's a great way to differentiate even if you haven't worked the beautiful, continuous, sexy jobs and the big titles and all of that. So the two questions that employers most wish they knew about you, the job job seeker? Mm -hmm. Question number one, what kind of a person are you? 
resumes and social media sites tend to list from this date to this date, I worked at this company and here was my job title and here were my duties. Okay, but I could have figured out your duties from your job title if I'm a professional recruiter. So for you to list those is kind of a waste of time. What I'm struggling for if I'm a recruiter is what am I going to tell your future boss is the reason she or he should interview you because I think you make a really good fit here. Your fit is based on the type of person you are. How do you get along with others? How do you conduct your work? How are you if you're customer facing for our clients? If you're not customer facing, how are you going to get along with other workers? Rarely do we see that in a resume or answers to interview questions. So if you're in the Gen X or cohort and you're trying to brand yourself, think hard about how are you going to show potential employers the type of person that you are. Now, I don't mean things like age, race, sex, gender. Employers can't hire or fail to hire based on those criteria anyway. I mean, literally your character is becoming terribly important to those who would make a choice about hiring you. And how do you think employers find that out? I mean, what are the questions that you see them asking to answer? What do you like as a person? In today's world, great question. You would find things going on like panel interviews. I just had lunch yesterday with Lisa. Lisa is just emerging out of that cohort. She's actually 51 years old, so she's really close to that Gen Gen X or cohort. executive professional with a C-level in her former business card. She left a company that, um, you know, upsized, downsized, merged, acquired, people move, companies change appetites. She's like, I think I'm, I'm done here. So left a company without having the next job. And she's looking and I said, well, what's been your experience? She says uh, today. So yesterday we had lunch. This will be literally today. She has panel interviews. She's going to be meeting with four reviewers, people who already work within that company, most are executives. At the same time? Uh, no, it's broken into three okay. of this and two of that, okay. one of this and that type of thing. It's like, a, it's like American Idol. So what you can bet is the various reviewers are probing for, what did you think of her character? What kind of a person do you think she was? How did she conduct herself? What evidence did she give? Right? They're going to compare notes. Um, it's very popular today, especially in jobs in, in sort of the thirty dollars to $75,000 salary range. So not entry level, but more professional jobs, often individual contributor jobs, you know, technical jobs of uh, sorts that they require a ride along day. So you have to agree to come in and work or at least ride along with people performing work in the business unit or department or team that you would be working. And as they work, they're showing you the work, but they may hand you a piece of it or ask you, what would you do here or have you author something, that type of thing. Again, what are they probing for? It's less your skill set than how did you conduct yourself? Okay, so that's number one of the two things that the companies are looking for. Mm And coming out of a lengthy recession as we have or are coming out, that was a long, long time where companies and the economy were depressed and there wasn't business and companies didn't hire people. And now morphing into where there's rapid growth and financing available and, uh, you know, space that's needed and new uh, people that are needed um, in that environment. The next thing that they need to know 
is how are you the job seeker if we would hire you going to actually get things done here in our company within our culture so when you produce a resume it says these years i worked at this company and i achieved these things increase this reduce that sold this bought that right you list the things professional resume designers tell you always show what you achieved on the job and quantify quantify right that'd be great here's the problem with that It would tell me if I'm an employer that you got those things done, but I don't know if you got them done by being kind and loving and service oriented to my customers, my other employees, your boss, or whether you were a backstabber that threw your colleagues under the bus. All I know, if it's even true in the resume, 86% of resumes have open lies or omissions in them. 86%. So it's not 80%. Six percent of the res, eighty percent of the total resumes have a lie. At least I was thinking yeah. of mine. Oh, I'm going to gloss over a lie. I, I'm going to gloss over the fact that I'm not actually employed now, and in my current job, I'm going to say tw- 2015 to present. What you don't know is they fired me six weeks ago. So that's a little white lie that I, the job seeker, am going to do. It's we're all tempted to do that, to sort of show our best side, handle the fact that the people at that company were really mean spirited and it was a terrible place to work. So I just don't even want to go there. Well, the problem is people who review resumes know that there are errors, omissions, material facts that are distorted and, and that type of thing. So I don't even know if you got things done in any of those past jobs. I understand you claim you did. So I'm going to have interview questions and other due diligence mechanisms. And today's recruiters are very, very good at using the Internet to check out any claim you make. So I urge job seekers to never lie or omit anything. Just tell the truth truth even if and when you tell the truth we need to tell the, the truth re- bell we need to ring right now <laughs> Just the tell reviewer the truth. is asking themselves okay i see that she appears to be a get things done person yes could she get them done in our culture maybe our culture in our company is very collaborative and team-oriented But she's more of a lone wolf, individualist, likes to work virtually from home, doesn't really like a a lot of interaction with anybody else. Just leave me alone and let me do my work. I understand she got things done in other companies, but we're a collaborative, teaming, high five, give a hug kind of a culture. Could she still get them done here? So you have to have ways to promote and share with the reviewer of your materials, be it online, uploaded resume, in an interview, some believable, plausible evidence that the stuff you got done elsewhere, you can get done here and get it done in our culture, which means your materials maybe have to be different for every company you talk to because every company's culture may be different. The one size fits all social media posting, the one size fits all resume I am not an advocate for because it doesn't serve the employer's needs to answer question number two. What evidence do I have you can get stuff done in our culture? And and those resumes that people are sending in online, where are they going? Who well, is seeing it, those? It, um, 
there's millions of companies. There's millions of answers to that. Generally speaking, I would make a make a sweeping, sweeping declaration that they're going no place good, and you're probably going to get ghosted rather than an immediate callback. You're probably going to get disqualified on some minute basis by an algorithm without a person ever looking at your resume. Companies have tended, especially during the recession years, to get so many applications for a single opening. I'm talking hundreds to thousands of uploaded resumes or whatever an application would look like on their website that they literally couldn't staff enough reviewers to read through them all. So they've gone to various software programs, algorithms, cloud-based scanning mechanisms, and so on and so forth. There's an extremely high likelihood, especially if you're applying for a job, which that company tends to continuously have open. So for example, call centers almost always have jobs open for call center agents. The job is going to pay $25,000 or $35,000 a year. People are going to come in and move to other things within the company or move to other companies. So it's going to reopen those seats. So this week they're going to hire 50 more or 100 more or whatever. In those kind of environments where one would apply for a job like that, I can almost guarantee you a human is not looking at that material. Do you suggest finding a recruiting firm? I mean, do you suggest a recruiting firm? Do you suggest just telling everyone you know in your circle of life how – if your people aren't really taking your resume where you don't know anybody and finding it online, then how would you suggest that so somebody get back in it? So based on the secrets I know about how things work within employer companies and who and what they're looking for and how they're looking for them, I tell anybody who's over 50, five, zero years old, do not ever apply for an open job and don't return the calls or emails from recruiters. Because job postings and the things recruiters hunt for are by and large the nature and grade of jobs that would be appropriate to 20-somethings, 30-somethings, and in a few cases, 40-somethings. The 50-plus community, baby boomers is the term most often used, are going to encounter active age discrimination and won't get considered for those jobs anyway. So it's an automatically fatal approach to go on any website for a company where you see a job posted if you're 50 something or 60 something and apply for that job you're never going to get a call back. Why would you waste the time? So, Teresa, your question was, who do we get to? Do we hire a recruiting firm? Who do we get to? In the case of the 50-plus-year-old set, and of whom I'm a glowing member at my age 61, what we need to do is get to a hiring manager or an executive above the hiring manager and go get a personal appointment to literally interview that executive about their company, their industry, their business model, what they're going to be looking for in the future in senior executive talent, because applying for some posted job is a fool's errand. It's not ever going to produce for the 50 plus member listener. So I have a question on that, based on that. You know, a lot of our listeners are, you know, Gen Xers, possibly some baby boomers in there. What do you, when you're calling up these companies trying to get a meeting, what do you think is the best thing to say to them on the phone? Like, well, what's going to differentiate you to get that meeting? Yeah, I may have set you up for um, a little bit of a flawed assumption. I'm not suggesting cold calling anybody. Okay. 
So that's good. I'm suggesting find a nexus of connection to somebody meaningful, important, and powerful within that company. Maybe you're related to somebody who knows somebody on their board of directors. Maybe you somehow go to church with or your kids play softball or soccer with an investor in their company, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe you volunteer for a community organization on whose board an executive from that company is serving as a volunteer this year and next year. It always has to be a warm connection for our older, more seasoned workers to get a meaningful conversation with a company executive. There is no cold calling opportunity. Therefore, we don't have to worry, what's the tricky thing I'm gonna say? Because we're not cold calling anyway. We're going to go in as a friend with some kind of warm introduction. How does 40 to 50 differ? Let's do 35 to 50 because that pretty well spans okay. the Gen Xer yes. um, cohort. So there, something's in their favor that's not in favor of our older workers. They're in demand. Your members, your viewers, your listeners who are in that Gen Xer, let's just say 30 to 50 is fine, mm -hmm. group have just enough experience, wisdom, seasoning to now know how to do things. And remember, one of the questions that employers ask is, how are you going to get things done? Well, if I'm 30, 35, 40, 48, believe me, I can show you I can get things done. Sure. Now, even if I'm a single parent who hasn't gone to work for a every other day Friday paycheck, I've had to manage incorrigible, incorrigible other parents at the softball game. I've had to get my kids to show responsibility and good values and get shipped off and self-managing and up to school. I've had to pay bills and manage finances. That's a skill set that a 19-year-old probably doesn't yet have. There may be a few gifted 19-year-olds that do. But at 30, 39, 49, you got a lot of that under your belt. And employers want that experience, you're probably not going to command the compensation range that a 50, 55, 61-year-old is going to command. So this is a real bargain and a real deal for the employer to get your level of wisdom, seasoning, and experience at less probably than they would have to pay a much more seasoned worker. That gives the 30-something, 40-something a wonderful positioning strategy because you're already in demand. Now you can talk to recruiters, you can apply for jobs, but in doing so, you ask the recruiter, the reviewer of the resume, the interviewer to get you to the hiring manager because that hiring manager wants to meet you. If you're one of eight people being considered seriously for that job and the other seven are in their 20s, that hiring manager wants to talk to you. You've got a little more seasoning, a little more experience, a little more wisdom. So what you're saying, and I've heard you say it before, is that if you haven't had a, quote, job for a few years, maybe five, maybe 10, but you have been running your your life, maybe your children's life, there's a way for you to position yourself to seem valuable to start a career. Sure. So literally last week I was working with, happened to be another Lisa, and Lisa was formerly a senior executive with a major international brokerage firm, a pretty big deal. She was flown to this city, that city, and the other city to go whip their brokerages into shape and get people doing what they do. And she has not worked in that job 
since her retirement in 2002. Oh, wow. That's a lot of years. Mm -hmm. And she retired to raise her daughter, who is now a junior in one of the nation's major universities in an honors program, who has two more years of college to complete, which will necessitate Lisa raising an extra twenty-five dollars or $30,000 a year for things like tuition books, transportation, and so on. Her daughter's an honor student carrying a heavy course load, so not really available to work in a J-O-B job. So mom is going to come out of retirement, and she's young. She's in her early 50s, so she didn't wait till your classic 65 to to take her out because she consciously made a decision to raise a daughter who by all reports is an upstanding bright honor student with great grades and great potential so probably a great investment by mom who came from investment firm background she would understand the math of that she's now faced with how do I tell somebody I literally haven't had a paying job in umpteen years? And the answer is we looked at her skill set. What did you achieve? What did you get done? What was your mastery level? What was your secret superpower back in the day when you did that work for a major Fortune 100 company? And because she, Lisa, the mom, doesn't need a vast amount of money. She's trying to add to her retirement income enough to cover two years of college. I recommended that she look in the nonprofit marketplace for an executive role on staff. Keep in mind, there are hundreds of thousands of nonprofit governmental and educational entities out there. They need her skill set, but they don't pay like a major big corporation does. So the talent set tends to go elsewhere. They're really hungry to meet Lisa. And she's already got, that was last Thursday that we met for coffee. She's already gotten five job interviews. One of them looks quite promising from friends of hers who serve on the boards of these nonprofits and happen to know they're looking for an executive director, a director of, a vice president of. Well, those are the kind of titles she had umpteen years ago. And she's a real asset to the nonprofit world because they aren't generally viewed as being as sexy and attractive as a job with Google or Amazon in Silicon Valley or that type of thing. So they're grateful, those employers, to have her express an interest. And all she's going to parlay is what did she do up through 2002? They need that skill set. And then in their intervening years, what were her activities that would show an additional skill set that brings her into the modern world? Well, raising a daughter happens to be one of those. Mm -hmm. Volunteering with a couple of nonprofits in her community happen to be those. That really is work experience. It doesn't to the employer have to have a paycheck associated with it. But you, the job seeker, must not have an artificially low self-image where you think none of that's worthy and you've got to show it like you truly are proud of it because it's the same skill set. It just didn't happen to have a conventional old school paycheck going with it. Does that help? Yes, what it does. About? It does help. And I think that there's going to be a lot of people out there that haven't worked in a while that don't feel like they're going to be able to go out and get a job easily. Um, and so it's really, gr that's great information for you to give. I feel like everything you're saying is giving more confidence to somebody that maybe hasn't had a conventional role in a while.
And I'll admit to you, eight or 10 years ago, when we were in the middle of a recession, employers were having to fire longtime employees. There were tears everywhere. And they weren't interested in somebody that wasn't hyper competitive with current job experience, probably employed in exact same job somewhere else. That has changed a whole bunch with the change of history and the economy and a bunch of other factors. So now employers were, are willing to look in very unconventional places for workers. In the town where the three of us happen to live, in the state where we happen to live, um, three employers in the construction trades industry, a concrete company and two builders of buildings, are now training prisoners in their final years of federal prison sentences how to be concrete finishers, stemwall carpenters, finish carpenters, because there's nobody left that's a carpenter or concrete finisher for them to hire. And we've recently had some federal legislation change, bipartisan legislation, where I think as a society we're recognizing some prisoners coming out of prison deserve a second chance and could be really great workers. They've got every reason to be a really great worker. And so there's even now more acceptance of unconventional places to find workers. So I don't want to hear too much woe is me by somebody that's in a perfectly nice suburban home or apartment that has two beautiful kids and a nice car because if we're training prisoners to finish their sentence and come do construction trade jobs we want to talk to people that aren't prisoners and sure. have perfectly good skills to parlay so that leads me to a, a, an interesting question prison no the prison <laughs> yeah, that's where my mind goes speaking okay. of prison speaking of prison and um I feel as though I have a kid who's very challenging and school's not her thing. She doesn't want to go to college right away. I mean, she wants to eventually, but, you know, I'm kind of saying to her, well, you need to find some sort of a trade. There's a lot of different ways to make money now that don't require a college education. So can you, I feel like now more than ever, the resume counts, but also, you know, the trade, the training. I mean, there's, there's opportunity that's out there that doesn't necessarily require a four-year college degree. And it's the highest demand demand in job openings right now Is are really? non-college degreed semi-professional jobs where one has to have training and skills and licensing and apprenticeships and things like that. So in the metro area where the three of us happen to live right now today as a starting plumber, you need not have ever really worked as a plumber, but you need to have all the schooling and the certifications, apprenticeship and so on. So you have to know how to be a plumber. Sure. You can make this year, your first year, $150,000 to $250,000 plus have all your tools provided, your truck provided, your dispatching done, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Do they take teenage girls for not the training? Yet, <laughs> but most 17? of the trade base professional organizations so i'm talking air plumbing air conditioning electrician press brake operator welder any of those sort of get my hands dirty and be really really good at a job producing goods of some kind almost all employers and a lot of educational institutions have programs for high school age people to begin to get interested ride along see how the work progresses several of them will pay you to learn that trade and pay for the education to get you there so community colleges and trade schools are now able to provide an education 
at no expense to the family to get you trade certified to go take that job. In our community, there is the headquarters for a publicly traded national company called Universal Technical Institute. And what Universal Technical Institute does is they operate 15 campuses that teach people how to become automotive service technicians and NASCAR crew chiefs and motorcycle builders, that whole vehicle, automotive, diesel mechanics, all that kind of thing. And they have a 51 week program that in most cases, the OEMs, that is the trucking companies, the NASCAR crews, the car builders, Older companies will actually pay for their education in return for the young person signing an agreement to come work for, say, Mercedes-Benz at a Mercedes-Benz dealership in a very well-paying, high-benefits job once they graduate. It takes a year to get through the class. You're guaranteed a job at the end. You're guaranteed a rate of pay and benefits at the end and oftentimes many other perks. And that's so different that back in the day when we all went to school where you had to figure out how am I going to raise a few hundred thousand dollars to put myself through college and the demand is just incredible we believe that there's going to be a shortage of automotive technicians of about 350,000 next year and Boeing Corporation in a private study has published that in the next five years there will be a shortage of half of a million commercial airline pilots I'm going to take a curve here speaking of race cars um this and this is something that you said earlier that i wanted to make sure that we brought up so i kind of keep talking about someone hasn't worked in 10 years how are they going to find a job now i'm going to go the opposite so say that somebody wants their children 50 percent of the time and they're used to having a major career you we're talking divorce here so you have said earlier that companies now know that there are other things besides money that has a lot of value. So talk to me about how somebody is used to making a certain amount of money, but how they can maybe negotiate. Listen, I need a little more flexibility. You know, I've got my kids Tuesdays, Thursdays, or I have them Wednesdays and they may have to make a career change because they need a little bit more flexibility because now they're taking care of their kids a little bit more. So I'm clear that you've seen that trend in mature adult divorcing individuals from an established family and employers are trying to cater to that. I'm seeing that in 20 somethings. Mm -hmm. The number one benefit that job seekers are currently, I'm using your word, negotiating for is more flexibility with time off could be paid or unpaid time off, but it's becoming very important in cultures around the world. This is not just a United States thing. For me to have command and control of my time and I have interests and I have a life and I have a side business or kids or whatever I have, why wouldn't I be able to negotiate with an employer for something that is not as expensive to the employer as my pay and paid benefits? The time that's on everybody's calendar is the same. We have all of us exactly the same number of seconds doled out to us in a day. We all have it. All employers have it. So a choice by an employer to let you devote some of it to what classically might have been thought of as not looking like work activity can be very precious both to that employer and to you. What the employer gets, 
is retention. You now want to stay and work for that employer. And in a market today where we have to go to prisons to train people to come and work, where we can't fill jobs, I want you to stay. If you're a productive worker, I want you to stay. So to grant you some time is pretty easy for me, the employer. For you, the worker, that time allows you to run your life. I'll tell you a funny story for for your audience. So I happen to be uh, prepping for it literally in the lobby waiting to do a presentation at an award-winning um, uh charter school that happens to be called Great Hearts Academies. If you haven't heard of them, you will. They're poised to make a real difference in education, K through 12 education. They happen to be headquartered in the town where the three of us live. And I was literally waiting to meet with teachers and others there to do some presentations and be helpful um, to the faculty. But I happened to arrive right at three o'clock in the afternoon on a weekday. At three o'clock in the afternoon, I promise you, in the main school lobby for Great Hearts Academies, utter bedlam reigns because there are a number of young people anywhere from K through 12th grade who are sitting in chairs for a variety of reasons. Uh, but to my untrained eyes and ears, because I never had children, so I'm now experiencing this in the lobby of a K through 12 charter school, the very capable staff of four ladies behind the desk are managing phone calls that appear to revolve around, I can't make it to pick up Billy, but his dad's going to be there in 23 minutes. Can you just have Billy wait for his dad to get there? And I'm really under reporting the bedlam that was uh, going on. So it became immediately a epiphany moment for me that for those parents, their daily life is actually revolving around who can go pick up Billy. For them, an employer that says, look, take the time, go get your son. We're fine, in fact, take the rest of the day. Can you imagine the value of that from a retention standpoint, from a life work balance standpoint? I quit jobs to make sure that I could do that. Yep, and I revealed to your listeners that one of the things that I do uh, on sort of a part-time just volunteer basis is I counsel job seekers who are in transition. They've left here and haven't yet landed there or their company got sold or they just moved to our community or something. And I was asked them to articulate for me what's most important. I actually have an exercise where I ask them to write down the aspects of their perfect next job. I don't just want to know an okay job that would get them by. I want to know what perfect looks like. Teresa's done that with me. And the thing which is emerging most strongly these days is some freedom to devote my time to kids, school, cause something um, and secondly to land in a company where people are treated well you have a great philanthropy story about a daughter of a friend who had a great job offer and she decided she wanted to go work out of the country first was it peace corps yeah, yeah. something so that's a story actually from the healthcare sector uh-huh. so uh a, a executive from a fortune 50 giant healthcare conglomerate phoned me from his home in Tampa, Florida, and asked if I would be willing to assist his 21-year-old daughter as she is approaching graduating from a university in Florida. 
and she will have a nice degree in healthcare administration that she's invested three and a half years of her life in. And the company, uh, I'm sorry, the, the family uh, has invested a lot of dollars in tuition, which is why dad calls me. <laughs> Let's make sure she lands somewhere. And in starting to understand her situation and the type of employer she would look for and how I might serve and help her, it became apparent that she has been interning with a hospital in the Tampa community. And in fact, it emerges that the hospital likes her work so well that they are prepared to or in the final throes of even offering a permanent job. When you're interning, you may be working without any pay or for very small pay or for very limited hours. So to continue doing the same thing may not make sense given you're now out of school and she will be in a few weeks out of school. Um, Rather, they're actually offering her full-time employment of a pretty hefty, like I wish when I was 21, somebody would offered me that nice salary package and great healthcare benefits, which a hospital would have and all that. And she actually said to me, but Mikey, just so you know, I'm going to counter negotiate and tell them that I'd like to consider taking them up on their offer six months or a year from now. I said, but you're graduating very shortly. She said, yeah, a project that I had for a class while I was in school involved doing some work in India in the slums. And we're probably old enough, all of us, to remember a movie of a number of years ago called Slumdog Millionaire, where the opening scene, kids are actually in a garbage pile foraging. Well, she was moved along with her classmates to go do a project that would involve somehow charitably making a material difference in slum communities in India. And she said, one of those classmates and I have actually formed a small company and we're going to go over and for six months to a year, that's all we're going to do is try to make a material difference in the lives of those families in those slums in India. And I thought, isn't that interesting? Turning down what her dad would so wish she would say yes to, which is the immediate lure of what the baby boomer generation was taught to grow up with. You need to go get a full-time job. It's got to pay a lot of money. Within a short while, you need to be promoted and you need to start climbing the corporate ladder. If we talk today's young people, they don't even know what the term corporate ladder was it's supposed to mean because that's not how they see making a material difference in the world and it's not how they value their time and energy. And so she valued her time and energy to help in the slums of India more than taking the low-hanging fruit of the position that I'm sure her dad was just waiting, you know, waiting for yeah. the letter to come in the mail sure. that was the offer letter. So the good thing about that is it, the millennials are really focused on philanthropy. They're focused on a flexible, you know, job. So those of us that are in Generation X that are looking to go back into the workforce, it, like you said before, it is a breath of fresh air for the people hiring because they are excited that people in Generation X want to work. Yeah. Yeah. Yours is the demanded generation. Your member, listener, viewers are in the demanded generation. That's why that story, I like that story, is to kind of show the difference. Yeah. You would would find employers are somewhat exasperated with their stereotypes of what the youngest workers are like or what they demand. It's all stereotypes, and we can't judge any group of people based on their age. But... To a degree, that stereotype may work for the Gen Xer because you do have more classic production, achievement, values 
that any employer can do the math on to get your position funded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for those of you wondering where we are, we're in Rio de Janeiro. Yes. For those of you wondering this, this city where the city about. is that Mikey keeps referencing <laughs> in case you're trying to picture it. Um, Heather, you go ahead. What I've been talking so much here. What is oh. it that you are dying to find out? Well, I'm actually really fascinated about the questionnaire that you said that you did with Teresa. Yes. And probably 10 other people that I know. Yes. yes. And if you don't want to reveal all your secrets right now, you don't have to. Well, I'm happy to. But I'm, I think it's so important, especially a lot of these women, men who've gone through divorce and transition, it's almost like there's a second chance. And it's like, this is the chance for them to rebrand themselves, to start a new life, to kind of figure out what it is that they really want to do. And I feel like a lot of times, you know, you didn't have that option before. It's like you went to work, you had to get a job. So there might be a little bit of an opportunity here to see what the rest of your life is going to look like. And I think that's with your relationship, with your professional life, everything. So when it comes to someone who's maybe had the same job and they've done the same thing, there's been this disruption in their life and now they get to look forward. What are the questions that you challenge them with to really see if they want to pursue their dream? And what does that look like? I mean, what is part of your methodology and your your questions to them to think about? So for your listeners, this is so easy. Okay, I love I that. I can't even make it complex. <laughs> I can't That's even good. make it arduous or <laughs> difficult or or impossible to understand. Um, the executives that I work with who are in transition, many of them are not that different from the audience you describe because maybe I didn't get divorced in divorce court. Maybe my board of directors called me and said – not including today, how long did you work here? And your badge will no longer clear and security is shut off all your logins. It's the same shock, awe, bereavement, grieving process, right? Transition. Mm -hmm. So I'll just give your audience the same exercises. I call them homework. And there's just two. And so let me share them. And then anybody can make contact with your website and reach us you and me, and I'm happy to help more on a personal basis if this isn't clear or people struggle or need some help or or whatever. So exercise number one, I literally ask you to create a document. I care not what the format of it is. You can do it in Microsoft Word in a fancy font or on the back of a bar napkin. I really don't care. Does perfume help? Calligraphy. <laughs> but I simply want sentence? you to think, to write down everything you can think of that would constitute your next perfect job. And like sky's the limit. Like what, sky is the limit. What does it look like? What is I your ideal perfect, perfect job? I do not want you trailing your foot prudently on the safety brake because you're the head of household with kids to protect and financial assets and bills to pay. So you're prudent and cautious and careful. I want you to take your foot off the brake and go in a perfect world. Mm-hmm. Here's what I want my work life to look like. And that could include what does it pay or who do I work with or what kind of a company organization is it? It could be how much or little travel we have or like we discussed earlier, release time to pick up the kids at Great Heart Academies or whatever it may be. I just want it to be perfect. It's not for me to judge. I'm not going to read it and judge it or tell you you were wrong at it. I just want to see what it is because a lot of us who've been through challenging personal disruptive situations are confronted with questioning our own value on this planet 
And sometimes it's nice to just not have anybody judge it and just take the top off and just see how far this puppy can fly. And the reason that I ask job seekers to create not a prudent, careful, I'm willing to settle for, gosh, Mikey, if the job would just cover my insurance and that of the kids. Okay, I know that you want that, but let's make it perfect. I want a robust insurance plan that I have no contribution to make out of my paycheck, but my employer pays the whole thing. There are actually employers that do that, by the way. Okay, so. The reason I ask for the let's do a flight of fancy, let's imagine engineer this whole thing is because often when I see that material, it gives me an idea to whom I should introduce you because we talked about, especially in the 50 pluses, you need to go get an introduction and go talk to somebody. Even in the 30s and 40s, it's a good idea to get to that hiring manager and talk to a human being, not a cloud-based software algorithm scanning your resume and shredding it. Well, how would I know to whom I might introduce you in the business community unless I knew what you were looking for? And I could tell you story after story from real life of where I've read these perfect job descriptions and went, oh my gosh, this sounds exactly like company XYZ. That's the way they think. Let me introduce you to somebody powerful in that company. And it's you? not it's not that easy at first if you've been having careers where maybe you got your intellectual identity from it. But like I did, like I need to have the smart careers, which I was never happy in. But I but that's where I feel like I'm smart um, or you're, you know, kind of the sole breadwinner and you're having a job just to pay the bills. When you stop and you really try to figure out what is it that you want, it almost feels selfish for a minute. Like, what do you mean? It's everything I want that kind of feels weird to get everything I want so you really have to stop and have a little catharsis with yourself as and far something as building else that it. I have found by observation that people have to work through when they do that exercise all of us have stakeholders kids ex current boyfriend whatever it is and we worry that us having a flight of fancy looks like us not really looking for real work it's kind of your mom and dad going, you need to buckle up and go get right. yourself a Home job. I don't hiring. care if you need right. to be a teacher or a nurse. At least it's going to be a job. Right. And you're like, no, I was actually imagining Rio de Janeiro and the Maserati. Right. Right. But that's your ownership. You're owning that guilt. You're owning that low so self You should do it, Heather. You I mean, you should do it just for a fun exercise. Me? Yeah, everybody should. OK. Yeah. I think it's a I think it's a great exercise. I what mean, a it, lot of people find is it's not a static exercise that just stops on Tuesday. Right. You kind of right. pull it out and dust it off every year or something and look at it and go, wow, it's funny. I thought that all that was such a big deal back then. I've accomplished way more than that. I need to set my sights higher or whatever. Okay, so that's homework number one. Sit down and craft a document. Make it as detailed and wide ranging as you can of what perfect would look like for you in your next gig. I'm not assuring and promising you you'll get it. I'm saying if you don't put it down, there's no chance you can get it. Mm -hmm. And that's where the epiphany of a bad situation can cause us a good break to allow ourselves to go ahead and imagine, engineer that for a while. And I know this, nothing bad will come out of that exercise. You will not worsen your position by knowing what perfect looks like for you in your work life or work home life or work romance life or whatever it is. Homework number two. Convene a panel of five or so people. 
Now, I say convene a panel. They don't need to know each other. They don't need to sit in five chairs at the front of the desk like a panel discussion. But you're going to ask five or so people to complete and answer a survey about you. That's intimidating. Now, these people, you're asking, who would they be? I don't even know what he's talking about. They simply need to meet two criteria, and they have to meet both of the two or they're not allowed to serve on the panel. Mm -hmm. Criterion number one, they have to know you intimately. Somehow. I don't even care if it's in a business setting. That's not important. But they need to really know you. That might mean that they've known you for a long, 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 long time. Like Teresa and Heather have known each other for all these years. That would be knowing each other really intimately for a long time. But it could also be somebody that they and you went through something very intense in a short period of time where you really got to see the true nature of each other. That can be intimate as well. So in a work setting, that might be another person that you worked with who they and you had to go through a really big deal project and you pulled it off. And so now they feel like they know you for 25 years, even though they've only known you a few months. Okay, so criterion number one, because they're going to answer a survey about you, they have to know you. It'll do no good for the boyfriend you've been with a month to be on this panel. They just don't know you enough. Okay. We'll save that for 10 years from now. Find out what the question is. (laughs) (laughs) The second criterion, which is even more important, is each one needs to be a person who under no conditions will kiss your ass. These have to be straight shooters who will tell it like it is. So this second criterion sometimes eliminates like your mom. Because she knows you've gone through a rough time and she so wants you to feel good. She's just going to say a bunch of feel good fluff. We can't afford that for this exercise because what we're going to send to the panel. Now, I say five people. It could be three or 12. I don't really care. I was with somebody yesterday that had 27. And so that's OK, too. <laughs> Gives us more information. Um, what we're going to do is send them a survey. You, your listeners, your members can send the survey. You don't need me to send it. They'll get it from you, so they'll know it's from you, and they'll take it seriously. And the good news for the people on the panel that you've appointed is the survey only has one question. So this will not be time-consuming or difficult or pull them away from work or kids or whatever. They just need to answer this one question about you, and each and every one of them need to do it because we're going to compare answers when we get them. When we see them, we're going to know the meaning of this. And so here is the survey question to send. Are you ready? Yes. Knowing me as you do, comma, knowing me as you do, what would you say I am the best in the world at knowing me as you do comma what would you say i am the best in the world at now i'm not against sending this to family members and others and so if your nephew says you're the best aunt in the world i'm actually fine with that as long as he knows you really well and he won't kiss your ass Because then it's a real response. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't need to be a work-related response. I find people are a little biased towards former coworkers and past bosses and their current team or whatever. That's okay. But I want to make clear, it doesn't need to be work-related. The people who are going to answer this one question simply need to be people who know you intimately and won't kiss your ass. 
and you send them the question, knowing me as you do, what would you say? I'm the best in the world at. By the way, my deceased English teacher father would hate that dangling participle. <laughs> I was the thinking end. of I've... so you're allowed to fix that, <laughs> but don't otherwise materially change the question. I do it in conversational style, like you and I would talk to each other. I promise each and every one of your listeners, this will be a life-changing adventure to see what comes back. I love it. I have done this hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times, so therefore it would have involved thousands of respondents. Not a time have the panel refused to come back with anything or been unable to come back. So don't let yourself be afraid that you'll get nothing back. You'll get thoughtful, considered, sometimes kind of tough responses, and it will be an amazing life journey. It. Now it has to have a use. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, all I gave you was an amazing life journey, and that's like, so what? So the way we use that is we now have you take your value proposition that if you're over 50, you're going to go meet with a senior person in that company or somebody who knows people in that company. If you're a Gen Xer, you're going to ask to get to a hiring manager to have a conversation. So there's going to be conversation there. And if you're under 35 years old, you're going to upload a resume to a website. I want some of the material from your panel included in any of those three conversations. Because remember what the listener or reviewer of your resume wants to know. What kind of person are you and how can you get stuff done in our company? When they see what people are testifying about you, it will answer those two questions. And now you have a brand promise to take to the marketplace where nobody cares if you haven't worked since 2002 or you're just a mom at home or you've been through a really nasty divorce and you actually need money by Friday to pay some bills. Nobody cares about that. I don't mean people are harsh and uncaring. I mean, you won't be judged that way. They want to know what kind of a person are you and what value do you bring to their organization. And again, that is a phenomenal practice to do what Mikey just said. If you are married, you think your family's great, you don't. You think your job's fine, you make good money, but you still want to do that exercise to figure out maybe there's something more. I mean, so it's applicable to everybody. And I think it's probably even applicable in a non-work setting. If I'm going to go on eHarmony.com and declare my values, where after I declare the value, I can also type a little something about me, why wouldn't I use some of that material? Why wouldn't I just ask it to people weekly for a nice ego boost? Right. What am, can you review I me? I have something I need to ask you. What am I the very best at in the whole world? I know I just They're met like you in line at Starbucks, this, but you know, what do you, you think? You sent this to me last week. <laughs> Pick something else. Yeah. Oh, gosh. One one novel thing that often happens from involving people in seeing your perfect job description that you wrote or being a panelist for you and answering that one survey question, they call you and they go, why are you sending me this? Are you looking for a job? Don't you remember me from the old days? We have a need like right now. Can you come and do some project work? Can you be a consultant? Can I refer you? I'm leaving this company and I'm going to start a company and I need you. I once was told by somebody many, many, many years ago. And I assume it's true, it's, it wasn't relevant in my world, but I was told if you're going to stop smoking, and it wasn't relevant in my world because I've never smoked, I'm not tobacco or anything you would smoke user. Um, if you're going to quit smoking, tell 
everybody. everybody. It's like if you're going to start a company. Yeah. Have a podcast. (laughs) So I think the energy you create, your own weather that you form, when you take a few minutes to do these two homeworks, when you think about actually for the first time maybe ever producing a resume or putting yourself out there, call the people who are low threat. They're your friends. They know you. You used to work with them. Their mom's at the same soccer league you're a mom at. They're sitting, having a quick drinky of polar ice while you're waiting for your kid to get their skates off. Tell them you're looking. Mm -hmm. Everybody's related to somebody. Everybody has connections. Everybody knows somebody. And they say, oh, my Heather, I had no idea. And Don't forget people that are maybe a little bit older, maybe retired. They want to feel useful and they might have all these contacts in town, no one to give them to. And they want to feel useful like they're helping somebody. It takes a little mustering of guts to ask. And probably in your audience, there's lots of things these days we're having to ask for that we never had to ask for before. But at least... If you ask, you'll find people are actually willing to help. And sometimes a skeptic will say, well, if they're so helpful, why didn't they offer before? Because you didn't ask. How would they have known you had an immediate need? So you're not pressuring them or inconveniencing them. You're letting them know, to Teresa's point, how can you help me? Mm -hmm. And they will help. Wealth of information. Wealth of information. I would listen to it three times if I were you out there. Yeah. Well, thanks as members. always for getting together. Thank you, Mikey, Mikey, for everything. Yes, we can't help you. We can't help you. We can't thank you. Well, because what you do is so helpful to people at a time of crisis. I'm here to love and serve them as well. So anything we can partner on to help. We've all been through crises and survived them, often in uh, unusually unlikely circumstances. But in life, we're not judged by what happens to us. We're judged by how we recover from it. And so if I can help that recovery phase with anybody, you know that I always will. So they should simply check your contact information. They can reach me through you, your site, and your agency, and we're happy to help. Thank you, Mikey. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mikey. We'll see you soon. Thank you so much.